Stop! Before you listen any further, make sure you've heard episode 78 of Two True Freaks, as this edition of Back to the Bins is a special crossover continuation. Welcome to a special edition of Back to the Bins. Why is it special, you ask? Well, because this is a direct continuation of an episode that we put out earlier this week in which we reviewed Batman Mask of the Phantasm, the animated movie. And this time around, we are going to be discussing the comic book continuation slash sequel to that movie. I am Scott Gardner, and I am joined by my co-host on Two True Freaks, Chris Honeywell. (laughs) (laughs) And the co-host of the Quantum Blunderbuss podcast, which you can find at www.quantumblunderbuss.libson.com, Chris Johnson. Hello once again. Hey, hello to you. You, I noticed you did not make a stupid noise. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's up with that. I don't know what's up. You got to get with the program, man. <laughs> maybe, well, maybe Chris was celebrating Halloween a little early. Oh, there you go. I celebrate Halloween all year. Every yeah, year. there you go. I, I will refer the <laughs> listeners to our special Halloween episode, which will be up some probably by now. Oh, yeah. As yeah. to my views on Halloween. <laughs> they are oh that's that that episode is going to be all kinds of disturbing Don't it bring really the is. kids to that one well kids. what's funny is like the first half of the show is completely kid friendly you know the my, i'll just spill it this way my half of the show <laughs> the show is so i mean it's all I put a stop to that and, and, and Disney and and light and family and family and everything and then we switch to the Chris half and it's you know don't Satan comes out (laughs) don't bring the kids yeah Satan is there wait a minute what happened to this kid friendly podcast yeah exactly it went to hell I'm looking forward to this yeah it's it's really funny it's It's brief we just describe our ideal halloweens and Mm -hmm. let's just say scott's idea of the ideal halloween and mine are slightly slightly different (laughs) yes slightly different anyway we are going back to november 1996 for this one this is three years have passed since batman mask of the phantasm and that actually falls in line with the uh, timeline laid out in this this is batman and robin adventures annual number one has an awesome awesome cover on it by ty templeton which is we're looking at the phantasm removing uh his or her mask and the face underneath is not who we would expect of Andrea Beaumont, but someone who actually appears to be the Joker. I say appears to be because it will be revealed here shortly. 
Anyway, this one is written by Paul Dini, one of the chief writers of Batman, the animated series. And I believe one of the writers, if not the the writer of the movie, if I remember right, the Mask of the Phantasm movie. I th- yeah, I, th- I think it was think written so. by four people, actually. That's right. That's right. He was one of them. You know what? Shoot, that reminds me. Now that I'm glad you said that. Because, you know, Chris Honeywell and I, not long ago, we, we were really taking some some shots at Marty Pascal for like this really stupid story that he wrote in <laughs> uh, in Saga of the Swamp thing and mm-hmm. other places. I mean, I I like Marty Pascal. I really do. But some of his stories whew. but he had right. out he was actually one of the writers on that movie as well. I, I believe asking, it was a, I believe it was a Star Trek a Marvel That's Star right. Trek. You're right. It was a you're you're absolutely right. It was the gnome issue of Star <laughs> yes. You're right. But you know what? I am going to eat crow right here, right now, and say from now on, I give Marty Pascal a pass just because he had a hand in Mask of the Phantasm, and I love that movie so much. So all is forgiven, Marty Pascal. We, we're, we're buds again, man. You can have all the gnomes in Star Trek that you want to because Mask of the Phantasm <laughs> is an awesome movie. Anyway, art on this one. Now, the art on this one, the credits are, are going to probably sound a little strange because the, the artists – change chapter per chapter so we have a prologue that's illustrated by ty templeton i'm I'm assuming he does both pencils and inks because he's the only name listed and then in act one we have um dev madden and terry austin on inks act two mike parabek with inks by rick burchett act three is uh brandon and cruz with inks by terry austin and then the epilogue we're back to ty templeton as the solo art credit again so i'm assuming he you know, once again, is doing pencils and inks. And original cover price on this one was $2.95. And, uh, you know, that was a bit steep, I think, back in 96. But this is an annual, and it is, you know, there there is quite the page count here. It is uh, quite the beefy story. So we start out the story with, uh, you know, it's beautiful art right off the, the get-go. And this is basically a recap of the last few minutes of Mask of the Phantasm where the Joker's miles and miles of underground explosives are going off at the Gotham World's Fair and uh, Andrea Beaumont is holding the Joker and the Joker starts to laugh and you know if you've seen the movie then you know what happens they they disappear in a puff of smoke Batman's left basically to fend for himself but this time we see the end of the story from the perspective of Andrea and the Joker and she has basically teleported them down into the sewer system where she's going to kill the Joker and she's holding him and, and like shaking him make, trying to get him to beg for his life but he's you know for one thing he's insane but also he's so hurt and beat up from the fight that he's pretty much just out of his wits and as she's being frustrated by this there's an explosion and much like what happened to Batman they're separated and the Joker washes out to see like Batman did and Andrea is left you know her her prize has escaped her and she kind of comes to the realization that the Joker because he's nuts is not really the same guy that she wanted to get revenge on he's no longer the thug that killed her father and so she basically lets her vendetta go and, you know, we get the, a brief recap of where we left her at the end of Mask of the Phantasm, you know, where she was on the sea voyage and all that. Well, now it's three years later. 
and she's come back to Gotham City and she has resumed her phantasm identity. And we see her foil an assassination attempt on Bruce Wayne. And then we switch to Bruce Wayne and he's attending some sort of, I think it's a charity event for orphans or something like that. And he gets a tap on the shoulder, turns around, and it's Andrea. And he's just totally floored by this. And she basically starts dancing with him and telling him, you know, just act normal. And, you know, I've got something to tell you that, uh, you know, someone's trying to kill you. And he gets actually very defensive and says, you know, well, I can handle myself. She says, all right, well, don't say I didn't warn you. She throws a smoke bomb and runs out of the room. He runs out after her, but he actually runs to his uh, limousine or something, and Alfred's waiting for him, and he says basically, just get me home now. And as they start to leave, Andrea runs up to him, jumps in the car with him, and they start to get into an argument, and then suddenly she reveals that she's not Andrea at all. She's a character called... Kitsune or Kitsuni? It's a Japanese name. I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce it. She I'll looks a hell Kitsune. of a lot. Kitsuni. Uh, yeah. She looks a hell of a lot like Lady Deathstrike from the X Men to me because she's got the she fingernail thing going on. Yeah, she's got like the like the adamantium fingernails or something. She looks like the like the Lady Deathstrike in the in the the second X Men. Yeah, she was in the second one. Second one. Yeah. Second movie. Yeah. X2, yeah, she looks a lot like that version of Lady Deathstrike. So she basically says that, you know, she's there to to get him. And as they start to fight inside the limousine, then the, the phantasm breaks in and Kitsune gets knocked out of the out of the moving car and they speed off to Wayne Manor. And at Wayne Manor Bruce Wayne and Andrea have a talk and, you know, he, he tells her that, you know, I never gave up looking for you for three years. I've been trying to find you and that he got so desperate that he went to see Arthur Reeves. And there's a brief, brief flashback of him going to see Reeves and Reeves is very bitter about the whole deal with her. And and he, he makes an eight kind of an enigmatic statement where he says, you know, I'm sure you'll understand why I never want to see her again, but we as the reader are kind of left puzzled, like, well, why Why is that? We come back to the present, and Andrea basically says that the vendetta against her father's killers was over. She got all of them except the Joker, and she was letting the Joker go, so she didn't have anything left. So basically, she went back to being the Phantasm, but this time as basically a, as a gun for hire type of type of deal you know she would do any job that came along whether it was spying or being a thief or being an enforcer or whatever and that's how she caught wind of a contract being taken out on bruce wayne and so she had come back to to warn him and to let him know that she did not take the contract that she still cared about him and that she wanted him to know that this was going on about this time some goons come in, one of which is Kitsune, and they kidnap Andrea, but Bruce Wayne gets away. Okay, so then Act 3 begins, and we see Arthur Reeves has the kidnapped Andrea, and he has figured out that Andrea was the Phantasm, and then we also see exactly why he made that statement earlier about never wanting to see her again. It turns out that when he was gassed or whatever happened to him by the Joker in the Mask of the Phantasm movie, 
that he had some sort of allergic reaction that left him permanently disfigured to where he has a Joker face. He's got the Joker smile. He lived. He didn't die like so many of the Joker victims that die with the with the death rictus on their face, but he has the death rictus and he's still alive. He's basically have, has to live with it. And you also are left with the impression that this has really unhinged his mind, that he's he's almost like Joker Jr. at this point. He's He's pretty crazy, too. And he's determined he's he's going to make her pay for all of this, which is about the time Batman comes busting through the skylight. You know, he's figured out what's going on and, and he's there to stop Reeves from from killing Andre and all that gets into a tussle with uh, with Kitsune, takes her out. And during the course of the battle, Batman gets knocked down and Reeves who, you know, he says something about, you know, you know, I've always wondered exactly what is your connection to Andrea Boma, and he actually unmasks Batman. And then all the pieces, you know, for him click into place. Now he realizes, okay, Bruce Wayne is Batman. That's why he cares about her. And so now he's got twice the vendetta to, to carry through on. And while Bruce is knocked out, Andrea resumes the full guise of phantasm and says you know arthur reeves you know your angel of death awaits and basically is going to take him out like she took out all of the the mob figures that had killed her father reeves turns the tables he attacks her and they both plummet off of a balcony together and seemingly to their deaths batman comes to you know he swings down to street level and he finds arthur reeve has gone splat and he's dead Yet the Phantasm costume is empty. So we get a nice epilogue where Kitsune's being carted off by Bullock, and you know the police have captured her and all of uh, Reeves's men. And there's a nice exchange between Gordon and Batman, where where Gordon has basically been filled on in on everything except the Phantasm. He's still wondering, you know, is the Phantasm still alive or is the Phantasm dead? And he asks Batman point blank, "Did you ever know who he was?" And there's a, a just a really nice panel where Batman just pauses, doesn't say anything, and then turns away saying, no, I never knew the person behind the mask. And on the very last page, we see Batman swing away and Andrea Beaumont, still alive, uh, just you know says goodbye. She just says goodbye, my love, and she has tears streaming down her face. And that's how the issue ends. So what did you guys think of this one? Now, do you think that Batman was lying when he said he never knew the person behind the mask? I, I, I'll, let, I'll let Chris answer that first. She's, he's talking about the phantasm, right? He's talking right. about the phantasm. Right. Yeah, well, he's totally, he's lying. Well, because like we were talking about in the phantasm episode was how Commissioner Gordon just implicitly trusts Batman. So I'm thinking Batman might not be lying. He might be saying, you know... He still never has really known her. As a, he knows who she is, but he's never really known her. I don't know. I mean, my I, I although I really like the way this issue ends. Now that you say that, you you get me to thinking that actually his reaction is quite strange because I don't know why his feelings. It almost seems like in the end that his feelings are are turned to her when he says that. I never knew the person behind the mask. Well, what did she do exactly in the course of this story? Besides save his life? Yeah, besides save his life. Because 
all right in the in the scene where they get bust just before they get busted in on they're making out you know they're they're basically falling back into their well, they, love they, affair they talk about how they can't get back together and then they start making out you know right class, yeah. classic <laughs> yeah and, you know and, and it's it's readily apparent that uh, despite everything that's happened and all the time that's passed they still really love each other and they, and they start to try to you know, fall back into that again. It, it just, you know, their, their passions take over for them and, and their feelings for each other. Yet in the end of the story, it, it's almost, I almost wonder, does he blame her for Reeves death? I mean, Reeves, I mean, she doesn't have anything to do with it other than she does act like she, maybe she's prepared to kill him when she says, you know, your angel of death awaits. She, maybe right. she, was going to kill him, but I'm I'm under the impression that during that part, Bruce Wayne is unconscious. I think so. He shouldn't even be privy to that. So I don't know. Maybe maybe it has something to do with by the time he came to and sees them. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, actually, maybe that's it exactly. Wait, are we talking you know, about why he didn't tell Gordon it was Andrea? Well, we know why he didn't tell. Well, you know, no. His- no, no, not I'm that. Just but just confused over why we're having this discussion. To be honest. oh, I'm sorry, because of me, because <laughs> yeah, well, of my that. random observation. That was just like as we were going over that last part of the story. That just, and I was looking at the page on the comic book. That just struck me as I was like, I think it would take a lot for Batman to lie to Commissioner Gordon. I don't think right. he'd really want to lie right. to him. But I don't, it, well, but he yeah. does to. He's in, and he's also protecting the identity of a murderer. Right, which is well, I mean, completely to, who he loves. Right, right. Well, to to answer Chris Johnson's question, no, I I don't think he would ever give her up, even to Commissioner Gordon. I don't think that he would give up her identity. But I I I take that response one step further. Is not only is he lying to him, but he's he's also revealing that. I, I think that statement actually has a, a a line of truth in it to where he's saying. I never knew the person, right? You know, you, you know what I'm saying, and and that's the part that seems odd to me is that well, somehow because his, it's a close up of on his eyes, you know. So that's right. you know, it's it's saying you know we're looking into something. He's saying it to the commissioner, but he's also sort of saying it to himself too. I think right, and I'm just trying to figure out what. Maybe I'm reading what? too much into it. I don't know. But. No, I don't think you are at all. Because now that you point that out, and now that I really think about it, it 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 is, it's interesting and it's it's kind of strange, but in a cool way. That wow, you know what was it really? Reeves? He didn't even like Reeves. So if if he really is looking. Because if you look in the last panel on page 36 where he's standing over Reeves' body, he looks pissed. Yeah. So is he mad at her? Is he blaming her for Reeves' death? Because even if he is, even if he thinks that she outright killed him, which she didn't, he killed himself. But even if he thinks that, well, Jesus, she already killed Saul, uh, Saul Brodsky and, uh, and uh, the other guy at the beginning of uh, – Chucky Saul. She killed Chucky Saul. She, I think, she killed some other people too in Mask of the Phantasm. Well, well, when so she, why the hell is this guy the breaking straw? Well, when when, when he drop, when he jumps off the balcony with her cloak, you know, the 
thing Batman does is go, Andrea, no, and swing down and, right. and pull his body off her, to, and she's gone, and then he's pissed. Right. So that's that's kind of strange. Or maybe he's strange. not pissed. Maybe he's just like, hmm, you know. Well, it's a person past the people she was, you know, getting vengeance against. Ah, I see what you're saying. So so he was giving her a pass on the people that were legitimately – like she had a legitimate beef with, but but Reeves is almost This guy's almost tragic. Innocent. Yeah, he's not as much an innocent, but he's – well, he, his, yeah, because he did have he a could, part he, in selling out Reeves, selling out her father. Yeah, that's job. right. Yeah, but yeah, Batman might not see it that way. He might, he might see it like, like, you know, if I, if I'm taking what you're, what you're saying, yeah, you know, he might consider that one step beyond justifiable vengeance as you yeah. know, this is actually murder. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I see what you guys are talking about now. Yeah. No, that's that's a that's a great uh, that's a great point. I really really like this story, and, and every time I reread it, I've read it reread it a bunch of times, and every time I reread it, I like it more because the, the first time I read it, I walked away liking it, but I walked away thinking, "Wow, I wish that was like three times as long," because it's it is a very fast read, and I felt almost like it um. There's a lot of just visual style to it, so a lot of things right. go on for a lot of things that you could sum up in in just a sentence or two. Take three or four pages. Right. You know, the the story's fairly light. You know, the, right. just a few things mm-hmm. happen in the story, and the rest of it's just sort of stylistically illustrated. And that might have something to do with you know having a whole ensemble piece of artists and giving everybody a chance to sort of strut their stuff and. And the, us, using that sort of cartoon visual style too, you know, where you're telling a lot of the story by showing pictures right. rather than tons of text. Well, I, I don't know if either one of you have ever read any other issues, you know, regular issues no. of, say, like Batman I've Adventures. I've read the first twelve. Or, oh, okay. Well, then, then you know, I mean, this is very much in the style of of the regular monthly, which yeah, which, very much like, so. Yeah, you know, like Chris is saying, it's kind of light, you know, and and the action is spread over, you know, an entire page and everything like that. So they did tend to be more more light stories um, because they were they were going for the all age thing, you know. They wanted to appeal True. to to the older Batman fan, but then also be something that a, that a kid could read. And I and I love that about that book because, to my mind, it's one of the best books that's ever been done that does that balancing, you know, that, that tight wire walk so well between writing something that, that, a, that a kid's safe with yet an adult can thrill to as well. I but totally in this, agree. in this instance, while I think it's, it's done just as well in this, this one, by the very nature of it being the sequel to mask of the phantasm, bringing back Andrea, which, you know, that whole movie, as we were talking about in, you know, in the last episode, has darker themes it has darker themes and more adult themes so it it lends itself to being a little bit meatier and this story doesn't quite have the it doesn't bring that same level of meat so yes they meet again and and there's there's hints of you know like the like the love scene and stuff like that but it, it doesn't have the full out 
right meet you know so maybe that's why i always walk away from it feeling a little it's sort of like an episode really it's just like an episode in his life rather than a story arc you know it's a sort of it's another thing that happened where he got to meet her briefly again and right just sort of rub those you know pick those scabs but I, I definitely don't mean that as as like a harsh criticism because I really do enjoy this story. I, I enjoy it on a lot of levels because, for one, it's always nice to see those two together again, especially when they're getting along and and falling back into their their love affair and everything. But it also answered some questions, you know, what happened to Reeves and, and stuff like that. So I, I enjoy it for that aspect too. I think it really is a, a good story, and I like that even though they wind up largely the same way they were left off at the end of, of mask of the phantasm, it still has a little bit more, just, just a slightly more conclusive feel to it. Like, like this is probably really it the ties last up time. A few, yeah. It ties up a few loose, it ties up a few loose ends from the movie. Mm-hmm. An, an, another thing I'd like to sort of note is I love Terry Austin's inks. Yes. But the, I have a little bit of just a thematic problem with it because his chapter, his illustrations are end up being a little more detailed. Because right. he likes to put a little bit of grain to stuff, you know, to, to fabric or the ground, whereas everything else it's sort of like that flat comic cell. Right. Like, and, and in his chapter, you know, all of a sudden there's a little more detail. Things have a little more shading to them. You know you're you're right, and I've I've always made that observation without making that observation. If you know what I mean, <laughs> I, I I saw it and and never it never clicked to me exactly what kind of I hate to say bugged me, but it did bug me just a little. There was always a, a, a between some of the because there's a beautiful illustration. It's the title page, um, page five, the title page. Every time I look at that, it almost looks like a um. Um, Todd McFarlane yes. picture to me because yeah. of the inking and the and, the way the the cloudy stuff looks, you know, the detail yeah. to it and stuff like that. Yeah, especially that the detail that, of the ink. Yeah, especially that particular page. But everything mm-hmm. you know, you, you see the sniper and you can see the wood behind him, and you know, it, whereas it would be just sort of flat brown lines, he's got some wood grain in there and stuff. But I mean. That's not Terry Austin's fault. Maybe they should have just picked somebody a little who would have who would have been a little more cartoony, right? For it. Well, now if you notice, um, let me see which pages did he do? Well, actually, he's the inker in this one. But uh, if you remember uh, a couple of uh, Back to the Bin episodes ago, you and I talked, and the comic that you brought to the table was Batman: The Ten Cent Adventure, and it was drawn by Rick Burchett, who inks act two in this but he was the artist on that and he was inked by Klaus Jansen and I felt really bad because when you when you revealed that when you were doing your synopsis I, I said something to the effect of like oh god you're or like groaned yeah <laughs> yeah and I, I felt bad saying that but now I, I, I hope you can see what I was talking about yeah. because he draws in this style pretty much all the time which I just think is gorgeous this this right what I've come to call the Mike Parabek style, because I think he did this better than anybody ever did. And hmm. Klaus Jansen, as much as I like Klaus Jansen, is totally wrong for this style, for this 
you know, this cartoon Batman, I, in my opinion anyway. So I thought they were completely mismatched. And I, I would really like to read that issue myself, that, that Batman 10 cent adventure to really get a, a feel for that art and, and see if I'm, if I'm right or if I'm wrong. But in, in my mind, trying to visualize Rick Burchett inked by Klaus Jansen just looks, it looks bad in my mind's eye. So I'd really like to see that someday, but somebody get him a copy. Ah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, my my last note on this one is on Mike Parabek. There's a beautiful. Um, who wrote this? I don't know if it's. I don't think it says. Yeah, it's not. Maybe it's it not Dini. credited. It's probably Paul Dini because it's not credited. So I'm going to assume that it's Paul Dini, but it may also be uh, the editor. I'm not sure. But anyway, there's a beautiful last page in this quite quite long i mean it's it's a lot of uh text here that tells that this was mike parabek's last work he uh he died of uh of complications due to diabetes just very shortly after his work on this i loved mike parabek's art i still love it to this day he was a fantastic artist who was just extremely ahead of his time. I won't say like unappreciated in his time or anything because he was starting to gain notice and people were starting to come around. But I remember when he debuted that a lot of people wrote him off as as whatever. But since his passing, I think that that he's garnered a lot of fans. I see his art go for for good prices on ebay and stuff like that and i've always thought the guy was fantastic i i really discovered him because he did a lot of the uh golden books dc they had a line called i think it was called dc here it was either dc heroes or dc superheroes and it was a line of children's books put out by golden books and they did stories like the true story of batman and the true story of superman and uh Superman and the Flash race around the world and and there was a Joker story and a Batman origin and a Robin origin. There was a whole slew of them. And he illustrated most of them. But the the one that I always loved was he illustrated the true story of Superman and it was very much like the John Byrne origin and the John Byrne Krypton but drawn by Mike Parabek. And it was just beautiful. I mean, it was really, really nice stuff. And uh, I, I've since made an effort, you know, because he died young and he had really just broken into comics, there's not a lot of Mike Parabek comics, so it's easy to collect them all. And I've been working to try to try to complete the collection of everything he ever did. And I'll tell you what, everything I've ever seen of his just fantastic. The guy was a hell of a talent, and it's so sad that he died so young. He was only, I think he even says in here, doesn't it? He was like 30, 30. He just turned 30, oh, a few days shy of his 31st birthday. So he was 30 years old. Damn, that's, I mean, it's just tragic. It really, really is. Really tragic. And, and I mean, by all accounts, he was just a hell of a nice guy. So I, I just wanted to mention that because every once in a while, even even now, all these years later, Every once in a while, I'll read um, on the anniversary of, like, uh, I think it's usually of his either his death or his birthday. There'll be an, an article somewhere, like in some fan magazine or, or some blog post or something from one of his friends that knew him saying, you know, you know, 10 years ago or 
however many years ago, you know, we lost Mike Parabek. And it's it's sad, you know, that his death still reverberates through through the comic world and all that. But but I don't want to end on a downer. <laughs> <laughs> I will mention that uh that the fan the Phantasm actually did come back again one more time. I tracked this down and read it just a couple of days ago for the first time. It was uh there was a second series of Batman Adventures that uh, started in 2003 didn't run for very long. And uh, I, I have the whole series, but had never sat down to read it. So I just sat down just to read the phantasm arc. And that takes place between issues five through eight written by uh, Dan slot, who I really, really like. I've just recently discovered Dan slots writing myself. And uh, while I, I'm not going to do a full review of this because I, I will admit the phantasm thing didn't amount to much she pretty much is a gun for hire in the story and the the brief interaction that she has with bruce and with batman they're pretty much straight adversaries by this point the 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 whole love story angle is just about abandoned and i i, I felt bad for that i i felt you know i really regretted that loss in that story however the rest of the story you know the 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 main the 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 a plot so to speak fantastic man it was good so I, i'm itching to go back and, and read the whole series i mean dan slot really nailed not only the character of batman but the but the animated series batman and the whole world you know he really understood it and knew the minutia of it and the backstory and everything and, and really utilized all the characters he even brought in um um leslie Tompkins, who i always liked from the animated series so Really fantastic stuff. And I mean, I nabbed this stuff for a song, so I, I know it goes cheap. If you ever get a, a chance to check it out, and they've even put some of those little digest size trades out, I think it's the second digest size trade that has this story in it. Really worth checking out. It was it was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. But but you know, read it for the story, not not for the phantasm appearance, because she really, you know, was really just a, a, another villain amongst like a team. Yeah. yeah. Right. There, there's like a team of villains assembled to try to take Batman out, and she's just one of them, basically. However, she's not really there to take him out. She's actually like on the team to like undermine them because you know she doesn't want him to be killed, basically. So, but that that's the extent of her involvement in the story, really. But really, really good stuff. I really enjoyed it and highly, highly recommend it. Um, I'm sorry, Scott, but I've got to be the uh, balance. Uh, your enthusiasm for the story because I really didn't like it. Oh, oh that's okay. I know. I know. What, what, uh, what didn't you like about it? Um, well, I'm going to do something that I don't like to do because it's partially unfair, but I'm <laughs> going to compare it to the movie because I, I just love the movie so much that I really just can't disassociate the two. And I know, you know, it's a comic book and comic books are, of course, different from movies, uh, two different mediums. But seeing mm-hmm. as how it's pretty much a sequel to the movie, right? I, I kind of have to lump the two together. So I fully acknowledge that my views on this are colored by the movie. But really what they did was they it, – it felt like they made a sequel to – well, they made a sequel to a movie with a comic book, which just does not fit. Uh, the art is good, uh, nothing against the art, but it doesn't feel like – the movie. It doesn't feel like you know the animation we got in the movie. That how dark that movie was. Although mm-hmm. 
it's dark in some places. It is, but it just doesn't have that feel that the movie had animation wise. Uh, and just how com- comic booky they just make the story. I mean, what the hell was that Japanese assassin? Seriously. Yeah. That, that was just stupid. Stupid character, really. And that there's just one page that's just all exposition that just like halts the story, explaining who this person is and why we should care about them. And there really is no reason to care about her. And she has some mystical shape changing headband, whatever the hell. That just doesn't fit with how realistic you usually get a yeah, and of course there's flying man bats and stuff, so it's not completely realistic, but considering how realistic it usually is and considering how realistic the movie you know was, it just kind of right. just doesn't it just clashes with what it was um and I did like I did like there are some things I did like. I did like that, you know, Arthur Reeves, you know, how they have it look like it's, you know, the Joker on the cover and it's really Arthur Reeves mm-hmm. behind the whole thing. But it just kind of comes off as like some cliched villain, to tell you the truth. You know, he's got his henchmen and he's, you know, all diabolical, you know, wringing of the hands and everything. And I would have liked it if it was, you know, I really would have liked it if they had, like, more space to tell the story, you know. Yeah. Like, maybe had it just, you know, Michael behind it instead of giving him a whole bunch of lackeys and henchmen and Japanese assassin with shape-changing headbands, you know. Where, where, why ever she was with him in the first place, I guess she was for hire, but still. Um, Although I did, like, the middle chapter was probably my favorite with the conversation between Bruce and Andre and the art was probably strongest there as well. And probably, uh, I wish that that style of art had carried through for the whole book, uh, really there. And I did like the callbacks, you know, with Andrea, you know, saying your angel of death awaits. I did like that callback. I like that somebody actually unmasked, you know, Batman, even though, he got, you know, he fell off a wind, off of a balcony. Anyway, well, you knew like, that was coming. As that's soon as usually the out. kiss of death. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You found yeah. out who he is. You're going to die by the end of the book. I, I <laughs> learned. I learned that back with the uh, the original Batman series when when that chick stowed away on the Bat Cave mm-hmm. and found out who he was, and then she fell into like the Bat reactor. Gener- reactor and poor deluded child. I was just going to say, isn't that the poor deluded girl episode? That's yeah. the only episode of that I really remember because that girl died and he <laughs> said that. I have always remembered that. I can't remember any other episode, but I remember that one. Anyway. But, you know, I, no, I, I feel like those are all legitimate um, criticisms of the book. I really do because they're, they're largely my, my same criticisms. And, you know, in honesty, I, I got to be perfectly honest with myself. I, I think a lot of my coloring of, of of giving the book so many large passes comes from the fact that it, it, it is a sequel to the movie. You know, whether whether it's great or whether it's poor, it, it's a sequel, and I'm a sucker for that story. So I wanted to see it continue. We do get to see a little bit of them doing the kissy face. Yeah, and then it, you know, and it's Mike Parabek's last work, and it's just it's so hard for me to 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 be overly critical of it, knowing that that that's, this was all we were ever going to get out of him. But well, that, like I said, you know, he did the second chapter, which I said was probably the best art in the book. So right. I, I have nothing against Mike Parabek. 
Right. And I did I did like the ending to how they kept it, you know, really somber and tragic. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the movie. So I did like that they kept that. But just overall, it just felt like they turned a really emotional and just how emotional with their relationship and just the approach to the movie. It felt like they just took that and just turned it into a comic book with, you know, your villain and your action and everything like that. And I, it, I just feel like to, you, considering how important their relationship is to the DCAU Batman to just turn it out for a very standard feeling comic book, in my opinion, it, it just sort of doesn't do that relationship justice in my eyes. You, you just hit on what I was trying to get at before. You, you just said it so much better than I did. Standard issue. That, that's really what this comes down to. That, that hits on what's always kind of bugged me about this. As much as I like it, and you know, I, was, I was trying to say before about it not having the same meat. That, that's why. Because it really is it, – it, it's in the style of Batman and Robin Adventures. And that style doesn't lend itself to – the, the more meatier approach to this material that needed to be taken. So this really, even though it is arguably a special issue because it's an annual, probably should have been handled in a, in a special all its own, you know, maybe yeah. not even called Batman and Robin adventures, but, but done more in the style, you know, like you say, in the style of writing and an art of that movie. And, and maybe it would have been a little bit more, uh, you know, worthy. You know, this what I feels mean? like a. It, it should have been a mad love situation. We should have gotten Dean. Yes, that, that. Yeah, that's. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's exact. That's a perfect uh, comparison because yeah, Mad Love is very much in that style of like Mask of the Phantasm because that's that's not a, something I would feel comfortable handing to a kid. Is Mad right. Love because it is very much that that same. Oh yeah, uh, adult themes t- style like Mask of the Phantasm. So yeah, I, I could very well see them doing you know properly doing this story as, as something like Mad Love. And it's funny because eventually they would adapt Mad Love to the uh, to the animated series. I do think it's a good show, but I also think they kind of pulled the teeth out of it just a little bit too. You know, by making it kid friendly for TV, you know, or, or kid friendly er anyway. Because I think that 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 graphic novel actually feels. I think that you know, the the cartoon adaptation was a pretty adult, considering the cartoon. Maybe not as as adult as the original, but still pretty adult. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some lines Harley says, and just some actions Joker you know takes that it's it's very much still gets the same message across. Well, they definitely with. Uh, Particularly with the with this uh, second incarnation of of the animated series, you know, when he got the when everybody basically got the updated look, man, they they pushed the envelope on that show, you know, for something that was arguably a kids show. They still they they pushed the limits with with censorship and stuff like that of of things that they were trying to get away with, because mm-hmm. isn't that the episode where where Harley says something like. You know, don't you want to take your Harley for a ride or yeah. something like that? And she says something about, 
have some of my pie or something. I think yep. that's the episode. Yeah, so that's the one. Yeah, yeah, that's that's some risque shit for a for a kids that's, show. Man. And the censors allow that. Yeah. Happy anniversary, Mr. J. You're really swell and okay. It's seven years to the day. Take the night off. Let's play. Holly. Want to try some of my pie? It's awesome. If you listen to the World's Finest podcast, it's great because they point out all yeah. these things that the censors should have like caught. <laughs> I love that show and I and I thank you so much for turning me on to that show and the in the sole reason that I don't plug them more is that um I, I just I fell so far behind on listening to their show and so I'm I mean I've got forever to try to get caught up but I do intend to and I and it's not like it's off my list or anything it's just I fell way way behind so not knowing where they are or what they're talking about today, I just I was like, well, I, I can't speak authoritatively of it, so I I stopped mentioning it. But I do you know, when I, when I was listening to that show, I really really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I remember when they were talking about like Mad Love and and this movie, you know, or the Mask of the Phantasm movie and stuff like that. And uh, every once in a while, I get this idea that I I want to do a show similar to theirs, but cover the DCAU comic books because be I actually cool. wrote a letter to them that I think they read on the air, but I can't remember. I, I know I got feedback on the letter anyway. So either they, they read it on the air or they sent me an email back. I can't remember, but I, I you know, specifically asking them, are you ever going to do the DCAU comics? And, and they were just like, no, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty much devoted to, you know, the DCAU and that's it. But, you know, the comics, I, I think they almost consider the comics like a separate thing. Yeah, they actually have somebody reviewing uh, the Batman comics on the site, on the Earth2.net site. Oh, okay. Well, I'll have to check that out. Because, yeah, I'd, I'd really, you know, I'd like to dig into that stuff myself because I've got almost everything, you know, out right. of the issues. But only have read through, like, I think I've read through I read through Batman Adventures and I read through Batman and Robin Adventures and I think that's as far as I got before I, I kind of petered out on it. But one of these days I, I plan to read through the whole thing. But everything I've read was just really fantastic. But they, they are stories very much like this, you know, where they've they've got a good story, they've got a good theme and good villains and all that, but you know, you have to keep in mind that you're not gonna get a terribly deep story. Because they're they're going for the whole the all ages thing, you know. So you're not going to get true watch, but, Watchmen out of it. You know what I mean? Well, well, I mean, it's, well, it's not like Mask of the Phantasm was Watchmen, right? I mean, you know, but still, it, it just didn't. Maybe I just had too many expectations going in to reading it or whatever it was, but it just did not do it for me. Didn't feel like the worthy sequel. I like yeah. that. But I thought it was light, you know. It light, was, yeah, it was, yeah. It was a sort of a, it was a sort of a shadow of the first one. It was like a little, uh, just like a little addition to it, rather than a full fledged sequel. You know, it wasn't a lot to to sink your teeth into, but it was an entertaining light read. 
you know, very quick read. You know, now that I think about it, you know, the the title of the story is Shadow of the Phantasm. Oh, is so it? I wonder if that was almost a play on the fact that, like you say, it was a shadow of, <laughs> you know, being lighter. In t- you know, that, that's actually an, a very interesting, you know, observation. So, I don't know. It, well, that's all I got for this one, fellas. What do you yeah, think? I think that about uh, wraps it up, hopefully. Hopefully yep. the the last this one and the phantasm episode will uh spur some people to check this stuff out anew. I hope or so. Or for the first I, time. Yeah, cuz uh yeah, I'm serious, you know, that even though, you know, cuz sometimes all ages to pe- even the words all ages still makes people think, "Oh, kitty book." And then they don't want to check it out, but it, I'm telling you, you, it sets off warning lights for me too, you know, when yeah. I see it. But uh, I, I've enjoyed the hell out of that. So, you know, it's, it, it just doesn't it doesn't get terribly deep or anything. But there's there's something to be said for just you know a a, a, a good romp or a good action issue. Good read, you know, yeah. just a good fisticuffs comic book. And as it also it fills in a couple questions from the movie and stuff. It's just don't expect Mask of the Phantasm. Yep. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join me right back here next week when who knows what mystery guest host will be popping by. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, and criticisms for the show via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of the comicforums.com. We are now accepting requests for guest host spots on the show, so if you'd like to join me in an episode, let me know. Also, please be sure to check out the home website for Back to the Bins at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you can find at comicbooknoise.com league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcast.com. Take a moment to drop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and I'll see you next week.